0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're gonna be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you, and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series, um, and I'll start it off with uh, I'll start it off with this. is uh, isn't it true? It doesn't feel good to be misunderstood. Isn't that true? It doesn't feel good to be misunderstood. I think I've got a slide for that. If you're taking notes, it doesn't feel good to be misunderstood. And when we first moved to Eugene, I remember I opened a door for, for a gal at some, at some place, for, you know, and we just moved here and, you know, opened up the door and she just, she just yelled at me. Like she just yelled at me, like, how dare you open the door for me? And like, don't you think I can open it myself? And I was like, whoa. And it felt horrible because she was like, that's not how I felt about you at all. I mean, I felt totally misunderstood in that moment. This might surprise you, but sometimes my wife and I don't completely understand each other. Um, is that a surprise to anyone? Sometimes we often misunderstand one another. I don't know about you, but sometimes what she says is different than what I hear, right? What I hear is something different than what she says. So she might say, "She might say, hey, could you, uh, could you put away these dishes, please? And what I hear is you're a lazy bum. That's what I hear, you know? I just like run it through my filter of insecurity and she says something and I completely misunderstand her. And we do that to each other often, and so sometimes we have to it takes time it takes work doesn't it to, to understand one another sometimes we just have to dig in and and, it, and and at first it's frustrating because i'm not understanding her she's not understanding me but then if you do the work a lot of times you know what we discover we discover that we're in a lot of ways we're saying the same thing, but we just we're misunderstanding each other, and it takes some time and they, and they teach you some some tools to be able to understand people right like you've you've heard of uh, you've heard of the 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 trick of repeating what back what somebody has told you. This is a nice communication tip. So if you're in a conversation with someone you're just not understanding, one of the helpful things you can do is you can say you can say, okay, what I hear you saying is, and then you repeat back to them what you think that they're saying, and that gives them a chance to say, no, that is not that is not at all what I was saying. This is what I was saying. And then you stop and you say, okay, okay. So what I'm hearing you say is, and then you you repeat repeat back what you think that they're saying, and then they're like, yes, see, that's what I'm saying. And doesn't it feel good when you have that, when you finally understand one another? It feels good. But it takes time sometimes, and it takes some work. And I feel like this is exactly what happens to so many of us when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is easily misunderstood. It just is. And so a lot of times we just have a lot of of trouble just diving into the scriptures and understanding what this is all about. And so this has been our tradition at Westside for about the past seven years, I would say, six or seven years. Every January, we take a few weeks and we talk about this. Because we figure, I figure, if we're going to be spending every every time we gather on a Sunday and in our community groups, and just if we're if our lives are going to revolve around this, then let's take a few weeks and let's talk about like how do we how do how do we have a relationship with this? Like, what, what are some tips and and tools for us to be able to understand this? Because because here's what's incredible is this this is this book is an incredible book. Even if you're someone here that doesn't believe anything in it, everyone has to step back and say, this is an incredible book. It's been translated in every conceivable language and still being translated into dialects all over the world. Um, it's, 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 it's wherever it goes, it transforms. Where So many of us have had experiences ourselves where we encountered some things in the scriptures that just... It just had power that did something. And not only are the things inside this book miraculous, but also I like to remind myself that just the fact that we have this book together in the scriptures, just the fact that we have it is a miraculous thing because it's incredible to remember how much blood was spilled in order for these texts to be compiled like this, in order for people to have the Bible in their own language. And there are still places on this planet where this book is outlawed. You are not allowed to have it. It is illegal to have it. You will be thrown in prison if you have it. And people still, they have it. They have it or they have little pieces of it and they're memorizing it and they're they're digesting it and they're letting it transform them. And we figure, if this is such an incredible book that we're going to be spending a lot of time in then why don't we take some time in the very beginning of the year and just talk about how do we how do we encounter this and because this is my this is my heart for us is i have a deep appreciation and confidence in the scriptures a deep, deep confidence. And so therefore I wanna inspire you to engage, to entrust it, to understand it, and to apply it and to apply it. Um, You've heard the phrase that teach, teach someone or give someone a fish and you feed them for a day, but you teach someone to fish and you feed them for their whole life. You've heard that right before. And sometimes I feel like one of my, remember my job isn't to just give you a fish every Sunday. Um, if, if that's the system that we've got, if I'm just giving you fish, then I'm, I'm gonna let you down. I'm gonna get burnt out. You know, like if we're depending on the pastor to give the fish, man, you're just not gonna be nourished like you should. The, really the goal for us as Christ followers is, is we should be learning to learn how to fish because then we're gonna be able to feed ourselves and be able to teach others how to fish. And so that's why we're taking a few weeks uh, to, uh, to talk about this. Um, There's all sorts of different backgrounds here in the room. And maybe if you're listening online, we all come from different places when it comes to the scripture. I just just wrote out a few. One would be maybe the Bible is just completely unfamiliar to you. You're just brand new. And so it's like the Bible, man, I've never tried that. Listen, if that's you, you're in the right place. This is the right church for you because we just want to help you get started, just help you take that first step, whatever that is. Or maybe you grow up, grew up with an appreciation for the Bible, but that's really like as far as it ever got. And maybe you treat your Bible like you treat the manual for your car. Do you know how often, uh, how, how often I look at the manual of my car? Never, unless there's a problem right? If there's a problem, I'm going to go look for that manual. But otherwise, I'm not looking at the manual if there's not a problem. And I think a lot of people have an appreciation for the Bible, but when everything's going fine, I don't need it. But when things are tough, oh, okay, let's find that verse. You know, sometimes we treat the Bible like that. Uh, Or maybe you're someone that carries around a lot of guilt about the Bible. If you're a Christian, and you've heard like, oh, you're supposed to be have a quiet time and you know, you're supposed to be in your in the Bible and that's 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 a desire that you have, but man, you've tried and failed and you tried and failed and it's, you know, your relationship with the Bible is a little bit like like an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend that you keep getting back together with and then breaking up with and getting back together again with and breaking up again and it's just like, oh, why even try? Maybe you feel just a lot of guilt around the Bible. I'm sorry about that. I don't we don't want to make anyone feel guilty about that. And at the same time, this is what we 're talking about is how do we how do we push each other to get into this maybe you 're someone where you 've been skeptical about the Bible you have lots of doubts you have lots of Cynicism, maybe even contempt, surround surrounding the Bible. There's just a lot of confusion. Maybe you had a Bible college, or like a like a college professor that said you can't trust the Bible. You know, it's just things have been added and added and added. You know, to it, and so we can't even know really where its origins are. Or maybe you know they said there's been so many interpretations and so many um, so many different people have twisted it however they wanted. Or uh, or you've encountered Christians who've just taken this and just picked and choose things from it and that's really frustrated you and so you're just coming with a lot of angst towards the scriptures if if that's you I just want to say hey you also are in the right place so glad you're here I I honor you we honor you we know that a lot of us are coming with some baggage when it comes to the scripture how do we how do we untangle that maybe um, maybe you feel like you know everything that there is to know about the Bible. Maybe you're someone here and you've been in the Bible for a long time and you feel like, oh, Bible, I got it, unlock. You know what I would say to you? I would say that maybe that's a little bit of an arrogant position to take. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe this is gonna be good for you because you need some humility. Maybe we need to come back to the scriptures with just as learners, as learners. No matter how long, no matter how long I've interacted with this, what if we were just to come to it as learners? Or maybe uh, you are arrogant in a different way. Maybe you feel like you just wanna dismiss the Bible because you think, I don't, I don't need a Bible. Are you kidding me? I'm doing just fine. I don't need a Bible. I don't need that doctrine stuff. That doctrine stuff, you know, who, who needs it? So let's talk about doctrine just for a second. What is doctrine? Doctrine is a couple things. Doctrine is something that you take by faith. You can't necessarily prove it, but it's something you have deep faith in. Doctrine is something you trust in. You like bet your life on it. And then... It's something that you promote. It's something that you believe is good, and so you want other people to believe it too. So if you are someone, or if you know someone that says, oh, doctrine, who needs doctrine? People should stop just you know, uh, telling people about their doctrine. If the world didn't have any like, sort of these religious doctrines, then the world would be a better place. If you're somebody that says that or thinks that, I hate to break it to you, but when you say nobody should have a doctrine and the world doesn't need a doctrine, guess what you just created? A doctrine. <laughs> It's a doctrine, and because it fits all those criteria. It's something that you can't prove. You're taking, you're taking that idea on faith, um, and it's formed by a Western individualist, rationalistic philosophy. Um, you're betting your life on that belief. You're, you're believing that it's true, and you are promoting. You think that the world would be a better place if, you, if, if nobody else kind of was promoting their doctrine. And guess what? That's a doctrine. The reality is, is none of us can escape doctrine-based living. None of us can escape it. Everyone lives by a doctrine. So the question isn't if doctrine is bad or doctrine is good. No, no, no. Everyone lives by a doctrine. The question is, is what doctrine do you, do you adopt that leads to humility, that leads to peace, that leads to wholeness, that leads to healing? And for those that follow Jesus, we believe that the scripture is the thing that we look to, to help teach us and train us and show us who Jesus is and what we believe. So, a couple things. This is kind of like an intro kind of message and Next week we'll get in a little bit deeper, but here's one thing I want you to think about. First of all, this is maybe good news and, and bad news, maybe in a way. Number one, it's easy to misunderstand the Bible. Let's just acknowledge that it's easy to misunderstand the Bible. That might be good news in the sense that, in the sense that you thought you were the only one that, that was like wrestling with it, maybe struggling with it. The good news is that no, the Bible is really easy to misunderstand. It's complex. It's an ancient collection of writings, and here's a principle that on sometimes when you first hear it, you're like, wait a minute, is that true? And then if you think about it, you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's a really important principle when it comes to interacting with the scriptures. Remember this, that the scripture was written for us all, but not written to us all. Think about this. It was written for us all as so for, for humanity, but yet the Bible wasn't written to us all, meaning that there was an audience, that those, that those letters were written to. There was, an, there was an original audience. And so in order to, to respect the scriptures, we have to kind of get in there and we have to understand what, what was this saying to those original people? Um, I, I went and recently saw a play at the shed. Johanna, one of, one of, the, one of the young gals in our church was in, this, it was in a play and it was so fun. And what if, what if I had written her a note and sent it to her before the play and I said, and I said hey, have such a great time break a leg. And I send it to her. And then in 2000 years, that letter gets uncovered by people 2000 years in the future. And they're like, wow. So, so he likes this person, but why is he telling her to break a leg? That is so confusing. Like what is going on here? I mean, they would have to ponder and think, why is he telling her to break a leg? But the problem is, is the only way they're going to understand that is if they understand that that's a phrase that we use now that might not be used in the future. The Bible was written for us all, but it wasn't written to us all. It was written to a certain group of people. So we have to be able to, be able to respect that. Uh, but here's another thing is not only is it easy to misunderstand the Bible, but here are the stakes. Here's why the stakes are high. It's because misunderstanding the Bible comes with big consequences, Misunderstanding and misapplying the Bible comes with great consequences. People have used the Bible to do horrible things. There's a line from, uh, from Miss Maudie, a character in To Kill a Mockingbird. She says, sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. This, this Bible has been used to promote violence, we could talk about things like the Crusades. We could talk about the thing, things like the, the sale of indulgences. This Bible has been, has been used and abused by many, by many. And so we just have to stop and, and acknowledge that. And maybe you've never heard somebody in church just stop and acknowledge that, but it's important that we do. Um, I, I, I a couple, of, it was like months ago where, where I, I, I shared some of this, but I just want to show you. Here's a picture of Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Thomas Jefferson is famous for not uh, believing in miracles and not believing in the divinity of Jesus. And so you know what Thomas Jefferson did? He just cut those parts out of his Bible. He just didn't want it. That's actually um, his Bible. It's on display that you can you can find. Um, he just said, you know what? I don't like these parts, and so I'm going to cut it out. In a similar way, what that leads to is, here's, a, here's the next picture I want to show you, is a picture of the slave Bible. And so they, they have these on display in several places, but slaves, slaves were given Bibles by land, by by, by slave owners, by landowners, and because they wanted them to read the scriptures and especially read the parts about slaves submit to your earthly masters, but they didn't want them to read the parts about the Israelites Um, fleeing the the chains of their oppressors in Exodus and becoming freed. They didn't want the the slaves to read um, books in the New Testament like Philemon, who's a slave who's now being called a brother. They didn't want them to read that stuff. And so you know what they did? They just gave them their own version of the Bible with all of of the verses about slaves being freed cut out, missing. So the point is this, is just because the Bible was abused, doesn't mean that we should dismiss it. The Bible has been abused in so many ways, but remember this, and especially about slavery. Slavery wasn't abolished because people stopped reading their Bibles. Slavery was abolished because people actually started reading the whole Bible. People, people, Christ followers, people who, who believed the whole Bible took the whole thing and said, no, 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 slavery must end. And so the answer isn't to dismiss it. The answer is Get it, get all of it and dive into it and see what it has to say and see how it transforms and shapes. And so that's what we want to do. This week, I just want to give you some tools to understand it. Next week, I want to give you... uh, I, I, I wanna tell you, what, you uh, what it can do to you if you dare to put, it, to put in the effort, all right? I was gonna show a video, but Terry, I'm gonna skip that video, all right? Um, because I wanna get into this text that I wanna read you. I've taught on this text a bunch. I feel like it's one of my favorite places to teach when it comes to understanding the scripture, because in this, in this text from the, from the Gospel of Luke is the key, is the key to, to understanding, or at least the beginning, of, of a key to understanding scripture. So, so important. Here's the context. Is Jesus, God in the flesh has come. He's lived this life that, that we should have lived and he ends up dying on the cross that, that we should have died in, died on. He, he took our pain. He took our penalty for sin. I mean, and Jesus died on the cross and it's just this beautiful mystery of how all of humanity's train wrecks just came tr- crashing down on Jesus on the cross. He took it all. But the story doesn't end there. Three days later, he rises from the dead and all of Jerusalem is turned upside down. I mean, people cannot believe because when Jesus died, so many of his followers were like, that's it. Like he's it was it was maybe it was maybe it was all fake you know and so they they just they start to wallow and they they they're, they start to move away but then Jesus three days later rises from the dead and everything changes but people at least at the beginning just have trouble like really wrapping their brains around this idea that Jesus is alive and so the context of this story is there have been these 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 two guys are are were in Jerusalem for all of these events they hear rumors that Jesus has risen from the dead but they don't know if it's true or not but they're wall- walking on the road on the way back to their hometown, presumably. They're they're walking away. They're pondering all this stuff that's taken place in Jerusalem. And Jesus, the risen, the resurrected Jesus, shows up to them. I love this passage. Let me just read it to you. It's Luke chapter 24. And in this, we see a huge, huge key in understanding scripture. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now, That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other, or sorry, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We're not really sure what that means. Like maybe, I don't know if like, I don't know. I like to think that maybe Jesus had like a like a cloaking device, I don't know, probably. I mean, maybe just Jesus was just like wearing like a, like a hood or something, I don't know. But like they just, here's Jesus, but they don't know. They don't know it's Jesus. It's walking alongside of them. And the story goes on. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along the road? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? everybody knows what's gone on. I mean, where have you been? And Jesus says, "What things?" <laughs> Jesus is so funny. Jesus is hilarious. I mean, he's just like, "What things?" You know, like, "Tell me what's been going on." And so they say, "About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they were crucified, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, by the way, that that would be the most amazing small group experience ever. Here's Jesus. Jesus explaining the scriptures to them. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. (laughs) And then he disappeared from their sight. I mean, this is just like, this is so Jesus in a way. I mean, like just, he's just giving them just enough and then like, ah, it's like, it's this cliffhanger and then, ah, Jesus is gone. And then listen to what happens last. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Before we pull out the key, the key in there. Here's just a couple tools. All right. Just a couple. Feel like, just pretend like we're in a Bible college class right now where we're just like big picture, just some tools to helping understand scripture. Some of this might not be new to you. Some of you are like, oh, I know this. Some of it might be new. All right. This is going to be great. Or then for some of you, you know some friends that they've got some big hangups. And so maybe this is just some, some, uh, some fuel for you to be able to like take it in and so that it helps you in your conversations with other people that you talk to about the scriptures. Um, two things that we need, to, or three things that we need to respect when it comes to the scriptures. We need to respect the process. We need to respect the complexities and we need to respect the context, okay? The process, the complexities, and the process. First, we need to respect the process, the thing about this book is it's, it was never intended to be a one-read book. Have you, uh, have you, you know, you've read a book before, and then after you read it, sometimes you're like, oh, I read that one. And the Bible is not designed to be one of those, oh, the Bible, oh, I read that, you know? It's not designed to be that. In fact, the Bible is not even a book. I mean, I know it looks like a book because everything's in here, but we have to remember that this is a library of books, all sorts of different writings from, different time, from, from, from a span of time and history from different places on the planet and that it's been compiled together. It's, it's ancient writings that have, were written to people in a certain time in a certain place. And so therefore it's not designed to be a one read book. You've heard me say this before, but the Bible is a little bit like the ocean. We are never going to, as advanced as we are, like we're, we're, we can see awesome pictures of Mars and like people are trying to get to Mars. And do you know that like we still have no idea what's going on in the ocean? I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's vast. And we're just never going to get a handle on it. In fact, whenever you swim in the ocean, what is it doing? It's always spitting you back out. Because it's inviting you to come back again. It's inviting you to come back again. That's how the scripture is designed. Isn't that supposed to be a process, a lifelong process of discovery? And not only is it supposed to be a process time-wise, but it's supposed to be a process with community, because the scripture is read best in community that we get to do this together. And it's good to read the scripture on your own, but there's something, and, and for sure do that, but there's something powerful about when when you're with a group of people and you're just like, and you're contemplating, you're talking. It's like when you see a movie, uh, when you're watching a movie, especially like one of those confusing movies like Mission Impossible, where Tom Cruise is always like pulling off his mask and you're like, wait a second, you know, he was him the whole time. And you know, those spy movies where sometimes you're watching it and something happens and then you just have to like pause and you're like okay wait what just happened you know why did that guy kill that guy I thought they were friends and then somebody else is like no bro you missed it like remember they were that's not actually his friend because he did the thing and remember he's he's on the other team and like oh I get it all right play you know I got it now have you had that experience with movies by the way I hate it when people do I hate it when people talk during movies and pause I hate it but sometimes you have to because sometimes you can't understand it unless somebody else chimes in. And so the, I've had that experience my whole life when it comes to reading scripture. Sometimes I'll read and I'm like, oh man, I feel like there's something in here. But then somebody just shares, oh, when I, when I, I think this is what it means. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Scripture is read best in community, not just with community who's alive. Because there's a community of Christ followers, some who are dead now, who have interacted with the scriptures. And so we have the benefit, the ability, to be able to read what they wrote about their observations about scripture. And so our community, to be able to read the scripture together is vast. That's pretty cool. The scripture is read best in community. Respect the process. And I just think, I think sometimes we, we falter with the scriptures is because we just come to it expecting it to be quick and easy. We just expect it to be quick and easy. And I, and I get it. It's like, why would God give us a book that was, that was, that was like a pro? Like, why would he give us a book that wasn't just like, hey, chapter one, money, chapter two, relationships, chapter three, you know, like, here's how you should conduct church services. You know, like, why didn't he give us a book like that? That it would be easier. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe it'd be easier, but, but then it wouldn't require, like, it wouldn't require a relationship. That's a one-read book, and God isn't interested in giving us just a one-read book. He wants to give us a relationship with a text that's alive. That's alive. It's not going to be easy, but sometimes we give up too quickly. Number two is we have to respect the complexities. The complexities. Uh, we are, when, whenever you read the scripture, you're entering into a tension, and it's the same tension that we talk about at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we talk about the doctrine of the Incarnation. You've heard that before. The, the incarnation is this idea that, God, that Jesus is, is human, but he's God at the same time. It's a mystery. Is he like 50% God and 50% human? And there've been whole church councils throughout the centuries that are about this. Like how can Jesus be human and divine at the same time? And their conclusion is just, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a mystery in the sense that he's, well, it's not a little bit of a mystery, it's a big mystery. He's 100 percent God and 100 percent man. That means that he's divine, and yet he was four and had to learn how to learn how to, to do stuff. Like he's a human. Like he did human things. He's, Jesus is, sometimes we're uncomfortable with the humanness of Jesus, aren't we? Sometimes we're just more comfortable with like a, a glowing Jesus, you know, who's like just, who, uh, who's just, uh, just all divinity, but not very much humanity. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with the humanity of Jesus. But we have to remember that when we're reading the scriptures, we're entering into a very similar tension. That just like Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, just like that, these scriptures are, are, are like that in the same way that they were written down by human beings, who were human beings. They did not go into a trance like this, you know, and God like downloaded like golden tablets. That's another religion. All right. That's not us. Like that's, that's not how this worked. You know, that it's just like, he just takes over their bodies and animates them. No, they were, they were writing, you know, there's letters, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. And I mean, and so we're entering into this crazy thing. I've got this famous picture that uh, to me helps. It's, it's called uh, writing hands. You've probably seen it before. It's a really famous picture. But when I look at this, it's like, man, where does one start and where does the other begin? And like, oh, you know, it's trippy, but it's, that's the tension that we're entering into in the scriptures. And what Christians have believed, the, the orthodox, the traditional, uh, the historical view of how these scriptures were put together is this, is that the scripture was, was written by human beings, but God was was The Holy Spirit was empowering them. God was, was, was with them. And even though they were writing from their own circumstances and their own personalities and their own time, yet as they write, what they're writing is, is the very words of God to us. It's a mystery. It's a tension. It's humanity and divinity together. And so we have to respect. We have to respect the complexities that this brings. Next is this, is we have to respect the context. Um, context is really really important when your dentist asks you to open up you shouldn't go and share your feelings with them okay that you, you you do not understand context if you were to do that it all depends on context context is so 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 important when it comes to the scripture and when the bible isn't read in context as a whole sometimes it can get butchered just gets butchered. Things get used here. Things get taken out of context, used in this situation, taken out here, used in this situation, and it can cause confusion and chaos and can be really distracting or damaging, or really just at the least is just we just miss it. We just miss what the scripture is saying to us when we take it out of context. Okay, so here's a couple Bible college words, all right? Bible college words. One is, Exegesis Exegesis is the study of how do, we, how do we determine what the scripture was saying to them at that place um, at that time? What, what, was, what was going on? You know, Paul is writing Timothy a letter. Well, what's happening? Why is Paul writing Timothy this letter? And what's happening in Ephesus where, where Paul needs to write Timothy this letter? And like, why does he say it this way? Maybe there was something going on that, that we weren't privy to. In some ways, it's trying to figure out like an inside joke that somebody else is telling like the whole break a leg thing. You know, you have to figure out like, what, what's going on here? That's the study, the the robust, um, the robust academic study called exegesis, and it's so, so important. But then after you do exegesis, you have to do hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is then, if we can figure out what it was saying to them at that time, at that place, now we can understand, okay, what now does it mean for us here? For now, for us. Sometimes when the Bible is often misunderstood is because we just skip the exegesis part and go right to the hermeneutics. And we just go right to, we just read a verse and it's like, oh, do not be unequally yoked. And it's like, oh, what is, it? you know, and we just think it, it means a certain thing when then you have to read the context. Suddenly verses become just for us to find parking spots, you know, and we just, we miss the complete, the context of what the scripture is saying. And those are like silly examples, but sometimes this has been done in ways that have been so, so destructive. People ask me all the time, um, should we really take the Bible literally? Should we really take the Bible literally? And my answer to that is, Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We should take the Bible literally. The Bible, some parts of it are literally poetry, so you should treat those literally like poetry. Some parts of it are historical, are, are historical documents. Yeah, you, then we need to treat those literally like historical documents. Some of them are some parts of the scripture are allegorical, so we should treat those literally like like allegory. Some of those parts are, are parables; they're literally parables, so we should treat them. Like, we should literally treat them like parables. Do you see where I'm going? Some of them are eyewitness accounts, and so we should treat them like eyewitness accounts. We have to respect the context of the Scripture. Otherwise, we can get really, really backwards when it comes to our understanding of Scripture. Um, I have a couple examples of this. Um, some, some of them are cheeky examples, but uh, just to, to make my point. And then I want to get to this key, this key that we read from the passage in Luke. But um, one example is, if you were to walk into a library, well, think about Powell's. Have you been to Powell's in, in Portland? It's the world's largest bookstore, isn't it? It's like a whole city block. It's just like the biggest, biggest library. You walk in and there are sections all over that library, right? And so if you're, depending on what you're looking for, you go to those different sections because there's different kinds of literature there. And the point is, is you don't read a recipe book in the same way that you read a novel. You read those differently, don't you? You don't read the newspaper in the same way that you read fantasy novels. You read those differently. Uh, You don't read how-to manuals in the same way that you read history books, right? And you don't read romance novels ever, all right? Just don't, (laughs) just don't. It's just weird. Don't do it. I had a friend who uh, who I was, uh, there's this really great book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters highly recommend it. I was uh, doing a small group with some guys. We we're going to read the book together, and um, I explained the book and the idea of the book to everyone, but I think maybe my friend was was napping at that point because he, he didn't hear. But I was explaining to them that this is uh, fictional characters that, that C.S. Lewis is creating. It's the idea of these uh, these two demons who are talking to each other and sending letters to each other about how to trip up, you know, this guy that they're trying to mess up. They're trying to keep him away from Jesus. And so it's kind of like a weird like uh fictional behind the scenes look at like maybe what demons would be saying if they were writing letters to each other it's really fascinating and absolutely brilliant but we're reading this book together and like three weeks in three weeks in into this discussion my friend he comes to the group and he's like hey guys I just like I've just been wondering something he's like how did C.S. Lewis come across these letters like like and I didn't know that demons knew how to write you know and, and like, yeah, so well, what's the deal? Did he find these in the wardrobe? You know, like what's the, well, how? And we had to be like, bro, wait, wait, no, this is fiction. And he was super embarrassed. He's like, oh, oh, I knew that. Oh, I totally, I was kidding. I was joshing you guys. You know, I knew. But see, he didn't understand that that was fiction. And I'm not saying that the Bible's fiction in the same way. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you have to understand the context if you're going to understand what it's about. And so likewise, we have to respect the context. My last illustration is this. If we could put that picture of the tomato up there. I love tomatoes, all right? I know not everybody loves tomatoes, but there's really nothing better than just a ripe, freshly grown, like here local, not something shipped from, you know, shipped from Spain, you know, like it was grown here. There's something about a beautiful tomato, all right? And a tomato needs to be respected because a tomato is delicious, and there's lots of things you can do with a tomato, but you have to respect the tomato. And when you respect the, 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 the flavor profile of the tomato, then you come to realize that a tomato is really good in creating some other stuff. So a tomato is really great in pasta, right? Some just delicious, just like pasta sauce. Tomato is great on salad. Uh, tomato is great on, um, what's the next one? I can't remember. Tomato is great. oh, you just reduce it down and turn into a delicious pizza sauce, I mean, When you respect the tomato, the tomato is gonna, gonna make some incredible things. You know, however though, the tomato isn't so great with s'mores, okay? Don't, it's, it's, it's weird. Don't ever try it. It just, the tomato is not good. And if you, if you try to use a tomato on a s'more, a couple of things happen. You completely mess up the s'more, all right? Now it's no longer a s'more. Now it's just ungodly. And then, and then also you're disrespecting the tomato. Like now the tomato can't be the tomato anymore. A tomato is not good on, uh, it's not good on uh, fruit Loops, right? Don't try it. Although I've never tried it, maybe there's, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm coming up with some awesome culinary delights here tonight, but I have a feeling it's going to be horrible. And a tomato is not great on a donut, all right? Don't do it. Although Voodoo will probably take me up on the offer and try to come up with a donut. You just don't want to mess, you don't put it on a donut. Bagel? Yes. Very similar. Donut? No. Bagel? Yes. Donut? No. You will mess up the donut and you're not respecting the tomato, the point is, is we have to come to the scripture and we need to respect what it's trying to say. We've got to respect the context and only then are we actually, uh, actually respecting scripture and then we can let scripture be what it's supposed to be. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If, you, if we don't respect the context and the complexities of the Bible, then you and I will end up misunderstanding it and then either missing it or misapplying it, we'll just, we'll just misapply it. And like I said earlier, that has lots of consequences. You have to respect it. So if you believe that the goal of the Bible is a rule book for determining who the good people are and the bad people are, if that's your lens, then you're gonna, you're gonna miss, you're gonna miss it. If you think that the Bible is, a, if the Bible's goal is to be a scientific textbook to tell you how many years old the earth is, then, you're you're gonna be disappointed in some areas and you're you're also gonna miss what the scripture's trying to say. If you think the goal of the Bible is to be chicken soup for the soul and help you just kind of warm your heart and you just take verses and put doilies up on the wall and put it on a mug that you drink from, like if that's all the scripture is, then you're gonna miss it. If you think the goal of the Bible is to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy, then you're gonna be really disappointed when you come to the scriptures that say, take up your cross, and follow me. You're going to miss it. If you think the goal of the Bible is to tell you all about the end times, then what's going to happen is you're going to read the gospel in light of your eschatology instead of letting your eschatology be read in light of the gospel. And it's going to just turn everything backwards around in the scripture for you. You're going to misunderstand it, and you then have the danger of misapplying it or just missing it. And you don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And if you do that, if we miss it, then it's just going to be like in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is talking with a group of Pharisees. And in John 5, the Pharisees are there and they're experts on the Bible. They're experts on the law. They're, they're, you know, they, they know so much and they're arguing about defined points of the law. And Jesus has to stop and say, time out. And he says, guys, you think that by, that re, by reading the scriptures that you think that you have life. But he says, but here I am. Here I am. The scriptures are pointing to me and you're missing the forest for the trees. You think that it's the scriptures that are gonna give you life. He says, no, no, no. The scriptures are pointing to me. Here I am and you're missing it. You're missing me. And here's where we get to the key of of understanding scripture. And we read it before in Luke chapter 24. Here's what he says. Remember when the Bible was, was accurately explained to them, do you remember what experience they had? Their experience was, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talk, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? I mean, their hearts were burning. Why did their hearts burn? Why, why was it so profound? Why was it so important what they were experiencing? Here's why. The crux, the key is in verse 27. If you don't understand verse 27, the Bible will, have, will, will, will potentially crush you. It won't help you, it'll crush you. If you don't understand verse 27, here's what happens. In verse 27, here's what it says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus says, all of this, all of it, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that it's all pointing to me. It's all pointing to me. And If you miss that, if you turn the Bible in just to like a rule book for who's naughty and who's nice, you're going to, you're going to, you potentially will miss Jesus. If you turn the Bible into something that's just trying to teach you about how to survive the end times, you're going to miss, you're going to potentially miss Jesus standing right in the center saying, look at me. It's all about me. This is where you find life. Band, would you come back up? We're going to close our time and just an intro next week. I'm gonna just dare you for us to look at, if you were to take the Bible seriously, if you were to apply it and put it into practice, what might it do to you? That's what, that's what we're gonna talk about next week. But today, here's my challenge. My challenge is this, is for you, for you. I don't know where what your story, where your story's at with the scriptures. Maybe you're somebody that you've tried and you gave up. You tried, you gave up. Maybe that you're carrying a lot of guilt about, should I read the Bible? And I've tried and I've given up. Or maybe you've just, you've tried, and you just didn't have some of the tools that you needed to be able to understand it. Or maybe you didn't have a community of people that would surround you so that you could read the scripture together because it's read better in community. I don't know. I don't know what, what your story is. But my question, my challenge tonight, just as we close and just as we respond, is what's your plan? What's your plan? It's a new year. It's a new time. What's your plan? The tools are right there in front of you. The community is all around you. What's your plan for engaging with scripture this year? There's all sorts of great tools. There's all sorts of things that you can do. There's all sorts of people that are already gathering and meeting. There's community groups that are gonna be kicking off in just a few weeks that are just gonna be centered around the scriptures and just being formed by them and just learning and growing together. My question is, is just, have you thought about your plan? Because I have a feeling if you don't have a plan for how you're going to engage scripture, how you're gonna bring your questions to it, how you're gonna to come to it, and then it's probably not gonna happen. It'll probably be a start and stop like it's been in the past. So as we close and just as we respond, I just wanna ask you, what's your plan this year? Have you considered about making a plan for how you're going to engage scripture this year? Perhaps, perhaps with some new tools, some new ideas of just how to engage the scripture. Maybe you need to come to the Tuesday night thing that we're going to do the next two nights where we're just going to dive deep into what the scripture has to say about a particular passage that's often misunderstood and misapplied. Maybe that's a great place to start for you. I don't know. I don't know. But the world needs us to be transformed by the scriptures. And it can and it will. I'll pray for us. Father, um, just as we respond to you tonight, Lord, I pray that we would be people of the word We'd be people that understand the beautiful nature of what you've given us with the scriptures. And I pray that as we are just humbly, humbly approach the Bible, Lord, that you would, you would do something. Like, like, like Dan prayed earlier, that sometimes we just bring ourselves and we just say, this is all I got right now. And what if we were to have that same attitude with just coming back to the scriptures again, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring myself, I'm going to bring my life. And Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to meet us with this text as we read it and digest it and talk about it and meditate on it. Lord, we pray that as we have, as we do that, Lord, that you'd meet us in there. You'd meet us there in those spaces. Transform us. Make us new. In Jesus' name. Amen.